Physicians need to be knowledgeable about both the benefits and possible harms of early screening and detection. What should we do when a healthy patient comes to the office and requests a full-body CT scan, genetic testing for cancer markers, or other screening measures that may not be suitable for their condition? How can we put health risks into perspective and give our patients basic information about the overdiagnosis and unnecessary treatment that may follow screening? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. H. Gilbert Welch, professor of medicine and community and family medicine at Dartmouth Medical School, co-director of the VA Outcomes Group in the Department of Veterans Affairs in White River Junction, Vermont, and author of the book, Should I Be Tested for Cancer? Maybe Not, and Here's Why. Welcome, Dr. Welch. Oh, thanks for having me, Jennifer. Now, there seems to be some patient demand for early screening and detection of cancer. Would you agree with that? Yeah, although I'd say we're ultimately responsible for that demand. And by we, I don't necessarily mean just primary care physicians. I mean the medical culture in general has really promoted early detection as always being the right thing to do. And as I said before, you know, this is something that certainly makes sense in a lot of clinical conditions, but we can take, like anything else, you can go too far. And I think we're now at risk of going too far and trying to catch too many things too early and uh, end up uh, driving people crazy and hurting some in the process. And so I think some of the patient demand that physicians may feel is actually the result of the healthcare system and some of what has been promoted in the media and so forth, which is ultimately reflects some of what some doctors have done. So I think ultimately we have some responsibility for that demand. And the question is, you know, how, how best to deal with it. Well, it can be really hard in a short office visit for a physician to discuss all the risks and benefits. I'm not sure even that passes the laugh test, uh, whether we can expect, you know, a, an informed discussion about cancer screening to take place in a 10, 15-minute office visit. We need to think of ways more systematically to inform patients of why there might be downsides for looking for things to be wrong. The one analogy I found that helps with patients is to think about check engine lights on their vehicle. And uh, I think we're all familiar with the check engine lights on our cars. And, and for those of us who who are older like myself, I can remember my first car uh, basically only monitored two aspects of the vehicle's performance, the temperature of the engine and, and the oil pressure. Well, a modern car now is monitoring 20, 30, 40 functions. And And people are familiar with the issue of check engine lights coming on. And sometimes they tell you about something you want to know, but sometimes they're just a nuisance. And sometimes they make you worry about the car, and sometimes you go in and get them checked, and the mechanic can't really determine what's going on, and they turn it off. And this is the kind of hassle factor that can happen that I think is analogous to false positive test results. And then sometimes you have a light go on that the mechanic then does some repair, and that repair uh, turns out to actually make the car run worse. And if you've had that experience, um, I think you've experienced some of the downsides of overdiagnosis. Now, another phrase that you like to use is that patients should have a healthy skepticism when it comes to early screening. So how would you help a patient put their risk for disease into a perspective so that they understand it? I think this is something they need to probably 
talk to their physician about to understand about their risks. And, and some of it, physicians are immediately uh, understanding of. It's a function of how old patients are, whether they smoke and what their family history is and what their blood pressure is. I mean, very simple stuff. But I do think patients need to have some, some numbers to think about that, and that's one of the reasons my colleagues and I have worked on a series of risk charts that can be viewed that sort of give people a sense of how the risk of death from various diseases changes as one ages. I think it helps people to have some numerical sense of what those numbers are. Now, speaking of numbers, are there certain statistics that you find are very helpful for patients to know, maybe survival rates or mortality rates? Well, I think there are certain numbers that are terribly misleading to patients, and and five-year survival rates uh, are are one of those numbers, and that is simply because five-year survival rates can be elevated when nothing's changed in terms of the mortality rate from a disease. And a five-year survival rate can go up simply because we diagnose people earlier, but they don't die any later. Or they can go up because we've uh, diagnosed people who are never going to die of their disease. The example I like to give is, of course, the fastest way to improve five-year survival statistics in cancer in the United States would be to give every American the diagnosis of cancer. Literally overnight, our five-year survival rates would approach 95%. That's because very few people in the general population are going to die from cancer in the next five years. That is the problem associated with overdiagnosis, is it does inflate all our survival statistics. Have you found that our screening tools have maybe become too sensitive and, and too technologically advanced, that they're picking up more than before? And one example I would give is that an x-ray may not pick up a, a lung tumor or lung cancer, whereas a, um, a spiral CT scan might. Absolutely right. I mean, uh, the resolution of our scanning equipment has gotten, uh, you know, really remarkable, and it's, it's amazing to look at and, and, you know, it's very, very impressive. But the problem is, is that they see so much it can literally drive both the radiologists and the uh, practitioners and the patients crazy because we're beginning to see things we really don't know what they mean. A study of uh, total body CT scanning of normal, healthy patients found that over 80% of people coming to for total body CT scanning had at least one abnormality. And in fact, the average patient had 2.8 abnormalities. So you're picking up nodules in the kidney, the liver, the lungs, and quite frankly, we don't know what to do with this information. And that's not just a problem of total body CT scanning, as all the physicians in the audience know. It's a problem when we do a CAT scan for a totally appropriate reason to look at, say, something in the liver, and all of a sudden we find something in the kidney, and you find these surprise findings. And so physicians are dealing with the power of these technologies every day and dealing with this issue of totally surprise uh, findings and and how, how we should approach them. So it's important to educate our patients about that, too, that there's an incredible reservoir of abnormalities out there and not to get too excited if you just happen to have one. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. H. Gilbert Welch, Professor of Medicine and Community and Family Medicine at Dartmouth Medical School. We're discussing counseling patients about screening for cancer and other diseases. Now, what would you recommend if a physician and patient disagree about the need for screening? For example, if a patient really wants a full-body CT scan, but it's not indicated, or, or maybe vice versa, 
the other way around. Well, this is a tension that I'm not sure I can uh, offer perfect guidance for. A patient who, who really wants a total body CT, of course, can go get one without any uh, intervention on the part of his or her physician. I think the physician's role is to counsel there and to try to provide some information. And I think the most relevant information is just how many abnormalities are found in normal people and to make sure that patients understand that a large proportion of those abnormalities are not ever going to be important. But we never know which they are. So once you get one found, you start getting into a cascade of progressively more invasive testing. I think patients generally respond to that. And and in fact, I think there's some evidence that in the past few years, patients aren't quite as enthusiastic about testing as sometimes I think doctors think they are. And the two pieces of evidence I'd give for that is, one, total body CT scanning didn't just take off, even though Oprah was talking about it on her show. In fact, most of these freestanding centers aren't in business anymore. The other thing is genetic testing hasn't just taken off. There's been a lot of interest in it, but at least to my knowledge, it hasn't just become a huge uh, growth industry. Now, let's talk a little bit about genetic testing. I, I am, you know, I'm a pediatrician, so in my practice, I have found patients who have a family history of breast cancer or, or some other type of cancer inquiring as to whether it's wise to then screen their child for that mutation or marker. Do you have any thoughts on screening children? I think there's a couple of issues is, you know, when is the right time to do it and who should have it done and, you know, what the gene is in question. So there's no uh, one-size-fits-all answer. I think the one thing, though, for, for generalist physicians to realize is that the really obvious genetic abnormalities we've known about for years, right, because you didn't need to read DNA to understand the genetics of, say, cystic fibrosis or Huntington's disease. The kind of stuff we're finding now is much smaller. Those were highly penetrant genes. You know, if you, if you had the genetic defect, you would have the phenotypic problem. If the genetic test said you had cystic fibrosis, you were going to develop trouble in your lungs, pancreas, bowel, etc. Now we're talking about much less penetrant genes where the linkage between exactly what the, the genetic defect is and the clinical manifestation of it is much, much weaker. That's the kind of stuff that is being investigated now. Things that raise people's risk, but is by no means definitive. It might be the difference between a 1% risk or a 2% risk. Now, the breast cancer gene is somewhere in between. BRCA1 is not a completely penetrant gene, but it is a pretty highly penetrant gene. And as I said, this is a gene that many people know something about because there are families that really have so many women who have died from breast cancer. If you're in one of those families, I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask the question, did I get that mutation or did I not? If you didn't get the mutation, you're still at about average breast cancer risk. If you did get the mutation, you are at dramatically elevated risk, and that may influence what you do. But, but just like any other diagnostic test, you know, if it doesn't influence what you do, you have to ask yourself the question, does the information provide some benefit or does it just produce anxiety? If you're really going to do the same thing either way, 
you have to ask yourself why you're getting the diagnostic test. It seems to me that this whole issue of early detection of cancer is quite complex, and there's a lot of uncertainty. There are a ton of gray areas, which I find is difficult for some patients to accept. You know, they want a right or wrong answer and a a strong recommendation. Have you found any um, feedback from patients who who just want to know the, the one correct thing to do? Absolutely, and I think this is also something we need to educate patients about. There's an awful lot of uncertainties in medicine, but there's bound to be even more uncertainty about what to do for a well population than there is what to do for a sick population. Just a little bit of history, you know, you only had to study 150 patients with a super high blood pressure to see that it made a dramatic difference to treat people with diastolic blood pressures between 130 and 115. So you can be pretty certain about something like that. And you can be pretty certain about what the best way to treat a pneumonia is because, you know, everybody's uh, at risk to experience the outcome. But the minute you move into treating well people or doing interventions on well people, it requires huge studies and there's always going to be some uncertainty. In fact, the uncertainty tells you something. It tells you that if there is a benefit, it's not going to be a huge one. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. H. Gilbert Welch. We've been discussing counseling patients about screening for cancer and other diseases. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website, ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.